The title of what I want to share uh, today is called Take Heart, and um, I can't think of uh, any more important uh, word for all of us today, especially believers uh, who maybe have lost heart a little bit, and, uh, and then of course the whole world, but they, have, they don't have the same chance of taking heart or being encouraged that we do. So I want to take about, uh, look at what it means to take heart. And this is actually a command of Jesus. And um, so I'm going to start reading verses 25 to 33 from John 16. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. And that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, He's preparing them for what's about to come. He's about to leave and he knows it, but they're not really aware of how he's going to leave. But he's preparing them. I came from the Father, entered the world. Now I am leaving the Father and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are clearly speaking without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He tells them to take heart, because he has overcome the world. So the world and all its bad stuff uh, has been overcome. But, why Jesus, but what Jesus did on the cross and further what he offers as the benefits of those who have taken him up on his offer to receive him as Lord and Savior. The benefits that come from the cross and the benefits of then the receiving of the precious Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the very supernatural presence of God inside of us. Now interestingly, the Greek word translated take heart in John 16.33 is the word tharseo. And so here's the definition of Tharseo, properly bolstered within. In other words, something's built on the inside of you. Almost all life proceeds, by the way, from the inside out. Everything, even sin and problems, they all emanate from the place of the inside man, the inner person. So he says, properly bolstered from within. In other words, properly fitted, properly, uh, properly built up on the inside, which supports unflinching courage. So to be built up within so that I have courage, that I have courage. And I like this part, literally to radiate warm confidence. I don't know about you, but I like to be around confident people. The reason why I like to be around confident people is because they make me feel more confident. I don't like to be around arrogant people, but confident people, encouraged people, people that are looking for the best. Uh, for me, uh, it's really healthy to be around those kind of people because sometimes I get down a little bit and I kind of draft off of their faith, so to speak. I, water, I, I draft, I, I sort of uh, get caught in the wake of their uh, warmth and their confidence. And I like that word, warm confidence, not just cold confidence, but warm confidence. And you get warm confidence from being in love with God and believing that he's going to do well with you. He's going to do good with you. You're going to be okay. And you have courage because you have courage in him. Now in John 16, Jesus is warning his disciples of his impending departure. But not one of them thought it was going to be a hideous crucifixion. Now I might be wrong on that, but I 
pretty well assured, you know, because you see their response. He says, I came from the Father, verse 28, and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Finally, you're not being symbolic. Now we can see that you know all things and you don't even need to have uh, anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So I think that they were probably thinking he's going to exit, but he's going to exit like maybe the transfiguration. And he's going to ascend to heaven and, and all that. And then he's going to bring the angels and they're going to stand, they're going to be at the thrones and they're going to help him rule and reign. And uh, they're thinking of a glorious exit and uh, a future reign with him on earth is probably, oh, finally, okay, we get it. You've been here for a while and now you're leaving, but we can't wait because then you're going to come back and the kingdom's going to come for Israel and finally you're going to be the Messiah that we've been looking for. Wow. So the interesting thing about that is I think in life there are very few things in life that are more terrifying. That might be a little bit of strong verbiage there, but let's say more uncomfortable to think that something good is going to happen to you and then it turns into a nightmare. You ever had that happen? You think something good's going to happen and instead it turns out horrible? Well, that's what the disciples were about to experience. I don't think they were very aware. And so Jesus' answer for them and for us is, when that happens, take heart. Be of good courage, he says. Because I, verse 33, have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Well, you say, well, it doesn't look like you're overcoming the world. What about all this disease and sickness and things? Well, the thing is, here's the great adventure of it. There will be a day when there will be no more disease and sickness and pain and sorrow. But in the meantime, we're in the midst of two kingdoms, the kingdom completely realized and the, the, and the kingdom not yet and the kingdom that is now. And so in this journey of faith we take, we're part of the kingdom right now, bringing God's will on earth. That's our job description. And there will be a time when he'll consummate all time and come, come back. But he wanted us to know, in the meantime, I have overcome the world. And so what does that look like? Well, first thing is, as we're going to see, it means we have to do something on the inside. Something has to happen on the inside of us. Otherwise, uh, we actually will not uh, overcome the world with Jesus. We'll actually be overcome by the world. And that's not clearly what he had in mind. And that's not clearly what God has in mind for us. So here's what God has in mind for us. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I just want to read this. Romans 8:31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Even the things that I've been talking about. Uh, what shall we say in response to our Christianity, to our walk with God? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a pretty powerful thing. If God is for us, he said, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Really? Graciously give us all things? What an amazing passage that is. See, taking heart means to be brave in your actions despite the fear that is assailing you. It is believing the voice that said God is with you and God is for you. And if you look at verse 28 of Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. This whole Romans 8 passage is all about the victory of the Lord. God's for us, not against us. It's amazing. He, he's called us. He's glorified us already in advance. Even though the world is full of sin and sickness and 
problems. But with us, God's with us. The word Emmanuel means God is with you. God is for you. Let's go on reading Romans 8. I'm going to pick up with verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen as God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us right now. No matter what you're going through, part of your heritage is that God's interceding for you. Jesus is interceding uh, for you. The Spirit's interceding with groans too deep for words before the throne of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's what I call taking heart. Taking heart. God's with you. Therefore, you're free to respond in faith according to God's direction. And that's really, really important. I've noticed that in my own life. When I've won the battle on the inside, believing the very things that I've just said, that I'm not my own, that God's helped me, He's for me, if God be for me, who can be against me, that all things are working together for my good. You know what then you're free to do? You're actually free to hear God speak. He doesn't dwell in an atmosphere of fear, but love. He'll still speak to you even if you're afraid, but the question is not so much whether he'll still speak, it's whether you will listen. Fear makes us deaf, dumb, and stupid. Fear actually is a dumbing down thing. Because you see, what God wants to do is he wants to walk with us. He said that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. To walk that way, you have to take heart. Something has to be built up from the inside, just as we were talking about. Something has to come up you have to radiate confidence because that radiation of confidence on the inside of you then is looking for God. When you don't radiate with confidence, you're not looking for God. You're not expecting Him. Without faith, He set it up so it's impossible to please Him. So we can take heart by virtue of what He's accomplished for us on the cross. Now I want to give an example, which is a remarkable example. It's an Old Testament example, but it has to do everything with our destiny. Because what we're going to talk about first here in Joshua chapter 1 is an entire nation's destiny. Now many of us are familiar with the story of Israel wandering around the desert all those years, 40 years. It was quite a trauma. It was so traumatic that the generation that was the older generation, because of repeated failure and inability to believe God and trust Him to go into this land, including right up to the last moment, had to die out before God would take them. And so the next generation came along. And the reason why they didn't make it is because of unbelief. They were so discouraged and disillusioned that they couldn't work with God. Now, I don't know what it is. It's a mystery to me. You would think that if they were going to go into what was called the promised land, that God would just throw all the thunderbolts there down and just race the people and then just let them just walk in. But he didn't design this. He designed this whole thing that he would have a people and that we'd walk out of him with him out of our uh, obedience and also out of our joy and and out of the joy of relationship and so taking heart means to be brave in your actions despite the fear that is assailing you and the that generation their their fears just overwhelm them and so 
Think about all the things they missed. They had been a slave nation and they're a wilderness and it wasn't so great. But what awaited them was homes and vineyards and peace on every side. A good government, a nation that would actually coexist with other nations and even conquer other nations. Uh, a peaceful land, uh, a land that would be blessed by God so that it would bear fruit literally. The wild animals would be taken out. This was all the promise. God was really bringing them their own nation, their own place and fulfilling the promises of Abraham. Now as we look and we see the next leader beyond Moses take over, his name was uh, Joshua. And so all Joshua needed to lead Israel into their promised land, into their destiny, was to have courage. Joshua succeeded where others would have failed because of the courage that was within him. Now just think about that for a moment. God's looking for one person. There's only two left in that entire generation. And they were Joshua and Caleb. And the only reason why they didn't die with the generation before them is because of courage. How God must value courage. And so it turns out that courage has a promise and then there's a reaction. All right? So the promise comes first. And the thing is, this book of the Bible isn't just a book of stories and the successes and failures of others it's to be taken as a promise book for us we look at an example of a person we say i want to be just like that we look at a promise that god says and you say that i want that for myself and the promises are myriad but they encompass all of life and i just want to get a get a get a sense of this as we look at joshua here and we look at how god works so when jesus told those disciples to take heart here's a good old testament view of it So I'm going to just start reading with the first few verses of Joshua, and I'll end with the ninth verse. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. This is a huge uh, bit of territory, by the way. Israel today has not got all this territory yet. And here's a hint. From the great river, the Euphrates, all the T- Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. That's a lot of land that hasn't even been taken so far for Israel. No one will be able to stand against you in all the days of your life as I was with Moses. That's what God was promising this next generation. So I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now here it goes. Here's the qualification. It's really can be described by the word take heart. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Then he says it again. Think if God says two things in a row, or three things in a row, he he really wants you to get this part. Interestingly, what disqualified the first generation wasn't only what they did, but was what was in their heart on the inside. Evidently being a coward, and all the things that come with being a coward, and all the qualities, is just rejected by God. He doesn't like it. But he likes this. Be strong and very courageous. Can I just say to you, and this time, if there ever was a time for the body of Christ to be strong and courageous, it's now. You have to be careful not to let that spirit of fear creep in. Because we're going to get on the other side of this COVID crisis, and it's not too far away. And so I want to come away with more, not less. I want to pass the test. Israel was in a test but it was on the way to more. And instead of inheriting more, they were totally taken out, and the next generation came along. This is so important for the church. 
as we see this Old Testament church, it's such a good lesson for us. This is what God likes. To take heart is to be strong and very courageous. It's not just sort of uh, take heart, worship God, and hope that this whole thing blows over and then start being a Christian again. No, this is the time to be a Christian like no other time. This is the time to be strong with your neighbors, your friends. It's the time to be evangelistic. It's the time to be helpful for the poor and the weak. It's a time for us to respond even more than we would in normal times because this is a transition point. Great trial and trouble have come across the peoples of our area, even on our own people. But here's the word. Be strong, very courageous, take heart, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. See, God's trying to bless these people like he's trying to bless us. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. But even to do that, takes some courage, you know. It takes courage to obey the Word of God. It takes courage to forgive someone when they don't deserve it. It takes courage to give of your own money and your own resources to help somebody else. If there's anything that this life uh, is described by in the Bible, it's, it, it describes a life of courage. And that comes from a person who's taken heart and is walking with God. Have I not commanded you? Here it is again, three times. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you, will be with you wherever you go. Interesting. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, and he tells them, you know, begin to get ready, right? So we see in verses 1 to 5 this promise. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then... The courage is the next thing. So God gives a promise, and then he gives the courage. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Wow. I think he's trying to say something there. And it's the same way with us. You have the promise and the courage. So God's promised us things even in this difficult time, especially in this difficult time. All the promises stay in place. We can't act like they're not in place. They're still in action. It's just that to inherit them, God's looking for a people who will be strong and courageous. Courageous with their friends, courageous with their neighbors, courageous with their behavior. Courageous with hearing God's voice and doing it, even if it looks risky. I think that's really important. So, when I look at the Christmas story, I was thinking about this. What an amazing group of people we have in our history, you know, all these examples. The great crowd of witnesses. Matter of fact, we could say a great cloud of witnesses, right? So Mary and Joseph also had promise and courage. They're an amazing uh, story. You would think that, especially with God's son, and if Mary's going to get pregnant and all of that, you would think that God would take it kind of easy on them, you know? <laughs> Matter of fact, the angel said to Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. That's a very easy thing to say. Why don't you say it over your own life? May, I could say that over my own life. Lord, I know you have good things for you. May, the, may, may your word to me be fulfilled. But even as Mary is walking this out, what courage it took. And it didn't get any better. First of all, she's pregnant and she's got to negotiate this thing with Joseph. And just tell him what happened. And then she's got to wait for God to react, to respond somehow. And 
He does, because she didn't know what would happen as a result of that, but God covered her. And then she gets pregnant, below and behold, they've got to go to Bethlehem. I was thinking about this the other day. It was a 90-mile walk, hike. It would take at least four or five days, and if they had a mule, I, I read in the commentary, it would have taken any longer, because actually we see always Mary seated on the mules, but mules go on their own time. So it could have very well taken them a week to get all the way to Bethlehem. And they're all alone. No family, because they've got to go down and register. People didn't take those trips lightly. And when we got there, you would think that God would put there a nice hotel, a nice room, have it all, you know. Why didn't he do that? Because Mary and Joseph had to walk in faith just like the rest of us. Matter of fact, they're our example. They're our example. And so they did. They find a stable. And then you would think that God's son's like birth and everything's, you know, okay, stable, it's working out okay. The, the shepherds have come, the wise men have come. But then comes word that Herod's trying to kill all the babies. And they can't even go back to Nazareth. They go to Egypt. And I am sure they have never been to Egypt. What courage it must have taken. What courage it must have taken to go to Egypt. And they're there for a while at the direction of the Lord. How are they being provided for? How is this all happening? You just didn't travel to another country like that, especially peasants, especially people that didn't have means. It was dangerous. It was horribly dangerous. Yet God took his son in the form of a baby and this peasant couple, Mary and Joseph, and they waited till the air cleared and then they went home. And I don't even know how much longer that was. People vary on their estimates. Wow. These people took heart. These people believed. These people, we're proud to have them as our forebears in the faith. So I just want to talk a little bit about practical helps the Bible really reveals for taking heart. Jesus told them that was something really bad was going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen. You know? They thought it was actually good. But Jesus says, take heart. He warns them, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So here's the first thing. Do not let the spirit of fear run free in your life because it has unhealthy friends. The spirit of fear makes us deaf and stupid. But we see from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, what God has for us. And uh, this is, describes this, what the Spirit does in our life. So we know we're on the right track if these things are happening, right? So the Spirit of God does not make us timid. So one thing that the Spirit of God does is it makes us courageous, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit of God gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And I think power and love are fairly explainable. We We've spoke, we'll speak a little bit more about love down the line here. But if we think about self-control, uh, that's a hard one to explain because I didn't know exactly. You have to kind of look it up and what, what did Jesus meant by that. And so we look at Thayer's lexicon. It says, soundness of mind, moderations, and self-control. And I'll tell you what, during this crisis that we've been, the COVID crisis, I have really learned what it is to have this spirit of self-discipline or self-control. It has to do with the way the Spirit acts on our mind, it has to do with good judgment. It's a funny thing, though. 
Good judgment isn't always according to the world's good judgment. See, the world has one standard and God has another. And God's definition of good judgment is different than ours. So actually to have a sound mind, you've got to be on the same page with him. You know, you have to learn to walk with him. You need to learn what he likes and what he doesn't like. So the things he likes and some things he doesn't like. And one of the things that he likes is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So a sound mind would be someone that's taking faith. You can spell faith, R-I-S-K. Oh, how we hate that one. But that's a sound mind. So if you find a person that's, that's, that's uh, making judgments about their life by stepping out in faith, they have a sound mind. Now, the interesting thing about it is the Spirit of God helps us in these risky things. So they're not completely out of control. You know, we don't go uh, pull up to the ocean and necessarily, you know, try to walk on the water because Jesus did. I mean, you could try. But these have meaningful things. They're like these crossroads that God brings to us. So for, uh, and so self-control, or at least this whole, uh, maybe we could say sound mind, is really, really important. Soundness of mind is a really good way to describe this word translated self-discipline. So with regard to this crisis, the COVID crisis, it's been a very interesting thing. I don't think soundness of mind is one thing. The way God sees it and the way God's thinking of it, it might mean different things to different people for where they're at. Each of us walks that out. But one thing's for sure, when the spirit of fear gets in there, whatever decisions you're making about your life, Maybe I would say even the spirit of terror, and, and, and you begin to lick, uh, you know, there's tremendous uh, fear in the air. The air is rife with this. It's so important that we have love, power about us, and remembering God's power, remembering God's love, but also uh, that we think clearly. What will unravel our thinking is fear, because it makes us deaf. We can't hear God's voice anymore, and it makes us dumb. We make really dumb decisions. So God gives us this spirit. And that's how we take heart in a proper way. We, don't, we, we live according to the, the power and the love of the Spirit and the self-discipline, or we could say the soundness of mind of the Spirit. And it may different, be different than the world, by the way. I felt so much encouragement from the Lord. Because as we walk this thing out, you know, I have pressures as a pastor. People, one people think this set of people think this way, another person thinks that way. But one thing that I've had to do and our leadership has to do is I have to go, God, what do you think? What's the right thing for us? I don't care what's the right thing for other people, maybe other churches. Other, they have different circumstances I can't even see. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to judge anybody. Matter of fact, that's another dumb thing to do, judging people. Judge not lest you be judged. Whatever standard you hold to others, you'll be held to. If you have the strictness, you might find that that strictness isn't so great for you. But a sound mind, I believe, is absolutely possible. God will teach us what to do, and you live it out a day at a time, making decisions for your family, making decisions about travel and so on. And you always know that you have sound mind by, by the, the peace that comes on you, you know. And sometimes a sound mind may be taking risks, but in that risk you still feel like, hey, I, I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And so I love this passage so much. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but he, makes us, he gives us power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. Self-control, you know. And so uh, this is a practical help, I think, if we, when Jesus says to take heart, he's overcome the world. How we take heart, right? So another thing, we let the Spirit fill us with the Father's love. So you can see the Father as Jesus did. Now, I want to read Romans chapter 8. It's a very familiar section of Scripture for many of us. 
But this is the activity of the Spirit. I think it's hard to understand uh, the Bible, or even our church in particular, without understanding that we are a church and we should be a people committed to the experience of the New Testament and the experience of others demonstrated before us and have gone before us. And so Jesus is speaking, and he's writing this letter to the Romans, and he says, for, Jesus speaking through Paul, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So the Spirit of God that we've received actually makes us feel closer to Daddy. In other words, when the Spirit's on us, we can feel the fatherly influence of God. That's how we know. Whenever I get too far from that feeling, I, 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 I have to step back and go back to Dad. And the Spirit's willing to bring that revelation to me and to let His love come on me. See, I pray for things. I, I pray for God to change this, change that, change this, change that. But the most important thing is I can't wander too far and feel disconnected as a son or a daughter. My privilege as a son or daughter, my intimacy with the Lord, we can say it that way, is more precious than anything. Because that intimacy will make me live exactly the opposite of fear. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's kids. So when we let the Spirit of this testimony be in us, we get powerful. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. We begin to inherit things. We begin to do God's business. We begin to fulfill our callings in our life. But it all comes from this place where we cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. And that drives off the fear because it's the opposite. Feeling close to God is the opposite of fear. And so it's so important that we learn to live in this Father's love. It's so possible. And I like Romans 28. Or 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who, who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So we know that we can draw close and love to God, and in that relationship we can be very, very confident because He's working together for our good. One thing that's very helpful to me in this time has been to remember all the past breakthroughs I've already received. All the ways God's broken through. I tell you, that is so incredibly helpful to stay in the love of God. I try to meditate on those things because there were times like now where I'm under pressure, where there's difficulty around. All of us have those individual times. There's even been a national, international times. I remember the recessions we've been through and other things that were of national uh, significance and 9-11 and, and all those things. But it's so important that as much as it affects us, we remember how God carried us through those times. One of the best things that's happened to me with regard to this COVID crisis is remembering what happened in the last recession and how God met us during that very difficult time, 07 and 08. I've remembered all those breakthroughs, and they have served me so well during this time, the last time we had you know, a kind of a national crisis. And this is the same for all of us, personally and nationally. Remembering the breakthroughs, we have had that what God has done for us and giving thanks for them is a great way to warm up to God. It's a great way to feel Abba Father. Walking in that Thanksgiving daily, not only for your stuff, but it gets contagious when the spirit of Thanksgiving comes because it helps us to see God and all his breakthrough and remembering him and all that he's done. 
but also helps us to see him in other lives and thank God for what he's done in their lives and then benefit from what he's done in their lives and say, Lord, thank you for what you did over there because I know that that's the same thing you want to do for me. So this is part of the way we get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's filled, especially with the Father's love, and it's a practical way to take heart. To take heart. This is another way of saying to be encouraged, to be strengthened. We also receive courage by receiving God's presence in worship and prayer. I look at our great forebearer, the great King David. And I love King David because he's this mixture of the holy and the super spiritual. Through him, God established the whole concept of the, the Messiah would be a king. And so it's a strategic thing for him to be the king. But the, he was a unique king in so many ways. He was a warrior and he was a worshiper. He was a worshiping warrior. And I believe at this time, this is what's required of us to take heart. We have to be worshiping warriors. We can't just cloister in a room and pray our way through this, but we have to be involved and engaged in the world. We are always a part of any national tragedy or, in, or, or corporate tragedy. We as the church are a part of it. We, we are the salt and light of the earth. We can't hide the salt and we can't hide the light. If we do, God's not pleased with us. This David was courageous. Even when there were attacks on him. But I want you to get this lifestyle. Because this is how David took heart. The Lord, he said, is my, my, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wow. That calms you down right there. God, you're my stronghold. We could even say more things than David says, because we know that Jesus Christ died, shed blood for us to be our stronghold. He's the one who loved us so much he shed blood, the king of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, shed blood for us. The supernatural power of God came in, in our stead, took all of our sins and put them on the cross and then offers us this amazing life of fellowship based on what he did, not just what we do. Even when we sin, we, we confess our sins. He's faithful just to forgive us our sins. We get to walk with the supernatural, almighty presence of God. That's what Jesus did. So David understood this, even though Jesus hadn't come yet, but he understood he was an Old Testament person in New Testament clothes. He's responding just like a New Testament person would. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, that's what taking heart does. It just drives the fear right out of you. When the wicked advance against me, when wickedness advances against me, to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. It's a, a fair thing to say. COVID virus, stumble and fall. You that have bad tidings for God, the church, or other people, you will eventually fall. Though an army besiege me, and they literally did, King David. <laughs> when he says this, he's not like talking just only symbolically. Armies did besiege him. And, and he's speaking out of practical experience. This is what comes out of the life of the beloved, the life of the one that loves God, the one that takes heart and trusting God. He says, you know what? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, then even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So what we're saying here is we receive courage by Receiving God's presence and worship and prayer. And David's our model. 
This has been so incredibly helpful for me. I've spent extra time worshiping and praying. I don't just do it as a matter of rote. I do it for my survival on the inside of me. Because I don't let my courage, I don't want my courage to, evaluate, uh, to evaporate. I want to take heart. I want to be strong and courageous in this time. I want to come away with more in this time, not less. I don't want to retreat and hibernate and hope that someday I call out, climb out of a cave and, and the COVID virus is gone. Oh my gosh, you'll have missed the whole opportunity that we have before us. But did you read it? Even though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. One thing I ask from the Lord... I, I want to dwell in the house, Lord, all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. God's not worried about one thing. And He loves me. And he likes my fellowship. And if anything's harming me, He will deal with it. For in the day of trouble, that's that what I'm talking about. He will keep me safe. He will keep me safe. I'm worshiping God. He keeps me safe. In his dwelling, he'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, no matter what kind of enemies those are. In his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. He's fine. So what I'm just saying is we receive uh, courage by receiving God's presence and worship and prayer. And he found such power in that. He mixes his whole life with it. He's mixing armies. What has that got to do with the sacred tent where he gives shouts of joy and he sings and makes music to the Lord? But David puts it all together. We can put it all together. Churches are incredibly special places in this day and time. Especially churches that continue to worship and honor the Lord. We are special. We are essential business beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Where God touches earth. And when he touches earth, he blesses it. Because of us, the whole area is blessed. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent that would be in this place. And we literally have a tent now. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. It was so good Christmas Eve, singing and making music to the Lord, honoring him above our problems and our troubles, honoring him at a special time of family where we could be so busy, honoring him in the midst of this crisis and just singing to the Lord. I can feel the pleasure, the pleasure of the Lord on it. You can't defeat a people like this. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek to not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. He says, he says though my father and my mother forsake me, those that are closest to me, even though they do me in, the Lord, he will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. We've got lots of oppressors in our life. Have you noticed that? There's all kinds of things the enemy puts around us to oppress us. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me a straight path because of my oppressors. I'm going to walk with you because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes, be it the devil or bad government or whoever it is, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Ah, but I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And notice what he says. And take heart. That's what we've been talking about. This whole chapter is about taking heart and wait for the Lord. I'm going to say those vast last two verses again. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see your income. You will see your children do well. You will see health. You will see all the things you've been wanting to see. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Take heart. 
What a great, great passage of Scripture. So David's sling, that is the way he did battle, David the warrior, and his heart, his harp, excuse me, came from the same heart. His sling, his war-like ways, and his harp, they come from the same place. So we can notice this take heart in 27.14 and receive Jesus' advice as well. Take heart. I've overcome the world. So I want to just finish with this. The confident lifestyle of walking with God in a spirit of generosity. There's an inheritance for those that walk with the Lord. And if you walk with the Lord, you're going to be a generous person. With your time, your energy, your money, we live differently. And I love these words from Psalm 112, and it gives us this picture. And so in times of adversity, a generous person can expect perks, can expect God's blessing. You don't have to be afraid like the other people. And it's so important to have a generous lifestyle about you, generous with your time, your money, your energy. So look at Psalm 112. 112 sorry. Bless, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who great, find great delight in His commands. Look what he says. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. So part of our definition with God's commands, walking with God, to so find great delight in His commands, are very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus lays it all out. And by the time you get done with the way he described it, it's a very generous lifestyle. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. So when we've done that, when we've lived that lifestyle, God pays it forward, even in difficult times. Because look at the next verse. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Oh, man, I like that place. I haven't run across very many people who are not afraid of bad news. Most of us complain or, or worry. or We just worry with anybody. I'm trying to get that out of my spirit. I don't want to have fear of bad news. I live according to a different contract. I've taken heart. Their hearts, he says, are steadfast, trusting the Lord. Oh, that's what it means to take heart. No fear of bad news. No wringing of the hands. Well, there's, you name it, there's 15 billion things you could be afraid of. And you know what? Our news, beware of the news, by the way, how, how you watch it. I mean, I'm not saying not to watch it. Just beware how you watch it. Don't let it get in your heart so you stop being this way. Hey, I will not be shaken. I don't care how bad the news. I don't have any fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast. My authority, I'm trusting in the Lord. He's the one that's over everything. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. I want to be like that. How about you? That's part of taking heart. My heart's secure. I'm not afraid like everybody else. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have scattered, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their, their givers, their, their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. But the other lifestyle is for us. See, Jesus 
he was anything, he was extra, an extravagant giver, ultimately ended up in giving his life, and he expects us to do the same. And this generous lifestyle, this generosity, this way of looking at life, not fearing, sowing, I see it here in Luke chapter 6, do not judge and you will not be judged, do not condemn and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. See, forgiveness and giving are just two sides of the same coin. Forgiving takes something away from me, something that I have to do, something that I don't get honored from, I forgive, I let people off the hook. It's a generous thing. Give and it will be given to you. So if you're a giver, whether it's financially or time, whenever you're a generous person, this is what you can expect. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So one thing that I've just been so blessed about as I look at our church, I, our, I think, you know, um, I, I want to be careful how I don't want to uh, brag or dishonor the Lord that way because I think we could always be generous. But one of the biggest reasons why we even have the warehouse out there is so that we could practically be generous. If one thing I've determined with regard to our church, uh, I just want to make sure that we're not short on generosity. We're not short on generosity to even the weakest in our community. We're not short of generosity in the great revivals and movements of God that are going on throughout the earth. We want to be right in the middle of them. And boy, I tell you, if you live that lifestyle a little bit and you feel that with your church and your church members, like I feel it so uh, poignantly right now, I, I'm so excited about our church because I've noticed in this time where everybody could be running away and pulling back and, and uh, not giving and, and, and just disconnecting, our people haven't done that. And they're so smart to do it. Because give and it should be given to you. Whatever we measure out to the world right now will be measured back to us personally and corporately. We're walking in a spirit of generosity. And the other thing that comes out of it is I take heart. My heart's encouraged. I, I feel like I've sowed and I will reap. I'm, I'm not afraid. And I tell you what, this is a lifestyle. So the feelings of strength and encouragement that come out of this literally come from a lifestyle of this. And I like, even with regard to judging people, being generous with people, letting them off the hook. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give and forgive. Notice how give is a part of that. All of this causes a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. For the measure we use will be measured. So when we measure out to others, when we forgive others, we go the extra mile personally and as a church, and we sow into the community, sow into the world. Guess what? Here's the inheritance. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We pour it into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured too. And I, I feel that now for our church and lots of individuals I know, we're feeling this good measure. This isn't a horribly down time where we dig out for years. This is a great time. This is a time of progress, stepping forward. See, the thing of it is, givers and forgivers, the confident lifestyle of walking with God and a, a generosity, when the hard times come or the tough times come, man, God kicks into another gear and you see Him all over again and you take heart because you see all the provision God's doing. This time we're living in is a special time. You know, I, I just think I, I, I'm really getting convicted of this as I'm saying it. I'm just thinking, this is such a special time in which we live. 
Because it's an opportunity to express generosity. It's an opportunity to sow. It's an opportunity to take heart. Even despite great resistance. And come away with something even better. Something even more. As we take heart in this crisis. We see that God takes heart for us. As we face the Lord. He faces our our enemies. As the great King David experienced. And we don't have to live cowering in fear all the time. But our courage has a rich reward because it pleases God. He's our beloved and we are His. And I assure you in this time, there's lots of things being evaluated and judged right now. And businesses will go up and businesses will go down. But God's business will flourish in the land. And we'll flourish to the extent that we take, uh, the extent that we take heart, that we believe, that we're courageous. We practically do this. We don't live in a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. We have this bolstering within. We have this radiation of warm confidence. I want to live like that, talk like that, and I want to do it while we're in a down place. Well, there's always these threats. I want to radiate confidence. And I hope that by God's grace you can too. Because that's the reality of which we live. That's what the reality of our great shepherd. That's the great reality of following a great king. That's the reality of being sons and daughters of the most high God purchased with the price of his own son's blood. Take heart. Lord, I pray that my words would resonate, your words would resonate inside of us. I pray for anyone that's discouraged or overwhelmed, I pray they would take heart. I pray they would believe your scriptures and your promises. I pray your very spirit would rest on them right now. And as they just meditate on these things, and they put on some worship music, and they worship, and they maybe even play this, pod, this, this uh, live stream again and worship, they, they, they would find you. I pray you would secure their heart. And I pray you'd bless them when they go in and when they go out. Lord, and we take hold of your favor as God's people. May we be a blessing to all those around us. May we experience the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen. God bless you all. Take heart.